Vibes. We've made it to Friday afternoon, so I'm going to invite you to join James and me on Facebook Live because it's Marshy Movie Time. James, good afternoon. What's cooking? Oh, well, after that massive intro, and you can just go. I know. <laughs> I feel like I'm your gatekeeper to the weekend or something like that. You know, when I, by the time I show up, it's like, ah, okay. I think you're more you can, like you the, can relax till Monday. The Gong Show, really. But there you go. We've got some actually oh, yeah. crackers today, I think. If okay. You, if you yeah. want to join in, join us on Facebook Live. The button has been pushed, and we love your opinion, don't we? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Please share your views, what you've been watching, what you think, if you've seen any of these already. Um, we're out this week. It's actually quite a small week. For some reason, there's about 10 films coming out next week. And this week, there's only about four in oh, yeah. cinemas. We've got Freaky, which is a new uh, sort of horror comedy. Uh, we've got starring Vince Vaughn. We have Military Wives, British uh, comedy drama starring Kristen Scott Thomas. That's a true story. It's not brand new, but it's fun. Why'd you choose that? I mean, no reason why you shouldn't, but... Because it's out in cinemas this week. Oh, that's weird, isn't it? That's, here's, your 20, yeah. here's your 21st century, chuck it onto the small screen first thing. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know whether they're aiming to, because it's Remembrance Weekend, oh, or was yes. Remembrance Weekend. So, but anyway, yeah, well, so we'll get to that in a minute. Um, also, Can I just give you a bit of trip? Tiny bit yes, of trip. please. True story. Please. Soldiers, Wives, Choirs is now a massive franchise, and there was a lot of hoo-ha. You probably know this in the UK recently, because... They got this COVID arts performance grant when a lot of people didn't, you know, top, top performers, world musicians, they got bailed out. And people are saying, what, what? Shouldn't the MOD look after them and all this sort of stuff? So mm. I, I don't know what the upshot was, but... Uh, oh, that's fascinating. No, I didn't, I didn't hear <laughs> that story. I had, although I did have a feeling that you would know a lot about the Military Wives Choir I saw for some the, reason. I saw the movie... Um, I don't know how much of it is real, but the thing does exist. Mm. And it was an office, senior officer's wife. And, and it's funny, James, before you talk about this, you've got, they've got to play the polar opposite, the right geezer, the corporal's wife. And then you have the lady who's the brigadier's wife, and they become best of friends. Anyway, I'll leave this one to you. Mm -hmm. So you've seen this film, have you? Yes, and you're now making me think that I might not have seen it totally legally. I can't remember. No, that sounds fine. No, because, okay, well, let's just get straight into it. Military Wives is, uh, yeah, new British romantic, not not romantic, so comedy drama from Peter Catanio. And that is a very important piece of information because Peter Catanio uh, most famously directed The Full Monty. So yes, immediately, it's, it's that. You, yeah. you know exactly what it is. I mean, we were talking about this just the other day about how there's a certain kind of lighthearted drama that the British film industry makes. A lot of and actually makes sort of very very well and this, we were talking about it because misbehavior came out a couple of weeks ago you yes. might remember um the real sort of gold standard of that kind of film is something like the full monty where it tackles sort of social issues about unemployment and uh was it uh in where where is it it's up in yorkshire somewhere isn't well, it's it? all or over sheffield the place because it's on bases but i can't remember no the no the full monty oh, full yeah. monty, I mean. sheffield i believe yeah yeah, I think it's Sheffield, and they're out. They're out of work miners or something like that, aren't they? And um, they have to do. They're, they're all. They all meet on the job queue on the on the dole queue, and they ha and they come together and become male strippers. And they, I don't know quite why, but British film industry has this really sort of. It, it has obviously a great fondness for this sort of 
pitch of story. Let's let's try and nail this down a little bit. It's a bunch of people mm. who learn are forced to do, probably kicking and screaming, something totally different. I think to put it simply. Yeah, it's it's normally sort of a mismatched uh, team of uh, people from different sort of social classes and racial uh, ethnicities and different backgrounds and all the rest of it forced to come together to overcome a common goal. Uh, you know, so you could apply it to kind of any genre almost, yeah. but it's told. You know, and it's always grounded in sort of social issues and problems. And Kinky the Boots real is world. another one I want to chuck in. And Kinky Boots, yeah. Brassed Off, Brassed off, off is, is another your favourite. Brassed Off is amazing. I recommend yeah. that to anybody. Steve says, yeah, yeah it was in Sheffield. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Okay, so, so yeah, so Military Wives is essentially sort of the full Monty meets Calendar Girls would be another <laughs> great <too>. example <laughs> of this kind of thing. And that's, and that's definitely sort of a, a more female-centric one, as is this. So this takes a true story... And as you've already mentioned, about the Military Wives Choir, uh, which I believe started in 2010 at a base in Yorkshire and, and has since spawned, uh, I think, 75 different choirs around British military bases worldwide. Yeah. And the, the, it's this, it focuses on Kate, played by Kristen Scott Thomas, who is the wife of the colonel, who's the head of the base, and she has lost her son to the to the military to the Aye. war effort in Afghanistan, yes, yes. and so she's now struggling to find something to do, and so she decides to muck in, get involved with uh, the the officers' wives, which is a sort of informal organisation, and they do sort of uh, coffee mornings and uh, bake sales and that kind of thing. And, but because she's so sort of uptight and regimented and all the rest of it and, and is somewhat uh, separated socially from the rest of the group, she sort of wades in and sort of stirs it all up a bit and the, the other wives are not very happy about it. And they come yeah. to an agreement that they're going to do a choir. Now, she wants to do hymns and carols <laughs> yeah. and sort of re religious music. <laughs> the obvious stuff is uh, happening at this stage, right. Sure. Whereas the rest of them, uh, in particularly uh, Sharon Horgan's character, Lisa, um, says, look, this is, this is only supposed to be a bit of fun. We all like a drink. We all like to just hang out and forget about the fact that all our boys are off in Afghanistan. Got it. Uh, and they, they push to do something more like uh, glorified karaoke, as Kate derisively terms Let's it. Let's really nail down those social divides, shall we? You know, but you ha they have to, Ex don't they? Exactly. They have to. Exactly. So one of them wants to do, uh, you know, choral music, and the other one wants to sing sort of Robbie, Muse Robbie Williams and pop music and things like that. And obviously uh, they butt heads at first, but then they come to sort of an understanding. They find mutual ground. Uh, there's a mismatched group of, of, of other wives from different parts of the country. So you've got a, a lot of different accents, a lot of different ethnicities going on there, the albeit everybody is is British. You've got the one lesbian couple as well. Uh, you've got the, the, the timid, fat, shy one who it turns out has the best singing voice out of all of them. I mean, tick, 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 tick. <laughs> I tick. know, but this when is you're watching it, it's done so well that you're like, yeah, cool. Well, that, how well this, yeah, this cool. is the point. This is the point, is that you you know exactly what this movie is. I mean, this is Pitch Perfect meets the full Monty. And this that's, is that's the British cool. Army where it's yes. probably a good 75% true in terms of the demographics. Oh, yes. I mean, the, the representation is not forced in any way. I mean, if anything, it's, it's perhaps even leaning too far, sort of white middle class. Um, 
but what you know obviously you know exactly what happens uh you know they butt heads they struggle to find common ground eventually they do a few are singled out as for their particular individual talents and it all culminates in a performance at the royal albert hall for the big uh, remembrance service in front of the royal family and in front of military families and in front of the country you know it's all broadcast live in between there are certain sort of personal hurdles they have to go uh, get over regarding their children be they alive or dead with them or with not or not with them their relationships of course because you know this is a very real very difficult situation for these women who all live on the base and when their 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 husbands partners whatever are off fighting they, there's nothing for them to do and there's nowhere for them to go. They just have to sit and wait, and it must be absolute torture. James, I want to chuck in, the, the one film that you didn't put in your list was obviously Billy Elliot, and it's the most perfect example. I mean, let's face it if, it, if they didn't start in a mess, go through the middle bit, and then have a success, it wouldn't be a film, you remember that. that in Billy Elliot, it's got to be the most, when you see him from behind, and he's this amazing ballerino, and he flies mm-hmm. in the air mm-hmm. in Swan as the swan in Swan Lake. I mean... It has to be this, doesn't it? Just now you're talking. Yeah, I mean, there, there are so many of these now. Um, I, I, I'm very curious now to see how far back this kind of movie goes. Probably forever, uh, you know, really, the examples like. Yeah, I mean, the examples I can think of certainly go back to sort of the 80s, but it's, I'm sure, like, six, the 60s, there was, it was a big boon. The post-war period was a big boon for sort of British cinema, and I think this is just something that we've always gone back to yeah you know uh and the reason why it continues to work certainly in this case is the cast the performances that you know that regard you know even though some of the jokes fall flat you know the comedy is at times a bit broad and a bit creaky you know particularly when you've got like these middle-aged housewives cracking sort of jokes uh, pop culture jokes you know the, the, you know they sometimes shoot pretty wide of the mark but the performances are incredibly strong and that's what gets you through i mean obviously you know like i said there are going to be uh moments of sort of family strife a bit of tragedy Have you to. know they are military there are military wives their husbands are in you know in danger whenever you see these things james Some like point. like the tv shows etc etc the one thing I, I mean one one thing they become friends or tolerate each other they become a community and what's the one thing that they are petrified of you know the two mps knocking at their door consistently exactly and so and so, of course, there is that scene. So you could play a little game with yourself if you're wa- if you're going to watch the film. Wh- whose husband's going to die? Um, because Somebody you has know, to. D- just to keep yourself, d- that you, you have to because that's a very real possibility. And as this is a film, this is a two-hour encapsulation of these uh, women's lives. You know, you've got to tick all those boxes. You have to have an example of all of this stuff. So, I mean. You know this film, you know where it's going, and I will say it's perhaps not the very best example of it. Like you say, Billy Elliot is a cracker, that full is Monty Brasso. Just the business. Those, those really are sort of top draw. But this is this is a, a an effective, and at times I've got to be honest, emotional version of this story. Some of these films like this, they really do hit you. I think that you're, you're sort of making it sound like a chemist shop where he puts a bit of this and a bit of that. And one, one of it's, these bits is, is the heart wrencher. 
it's the very definition of formulaic filmmaking. But that has become a, a something of a dirty word if something is formulaic or generic. Mm. But this is exactly what it is. And, you know, cliches exist because they work and because they're true. Um, like I said, this succeeds in large part because of the performances. You know, Kristen Scott Thomas is obviously great as, as sort of the uptight... Uh, better than everybody else, self-important kind of colonel's boss, colonel's wife, uh, and probably boss as well. Um, <laughs> you know, she it's the kind of role that she's built her career on, and she's excellent as it. Particularly good is also Sharon Horgan, who is sort of the working class wife who really was sort of was the de facto head of the group before Kate came in, and they kind of butt heads a lot. But then there are some other sort of stronger, smaller performances mm. uh, from the likes of uh, Amy James Kelly is, is there as well. And then you've got um, Jason Fleming as the kind of the token guy who is kind of their chaperone whenever they have to go anywhere. Yeah. You know, he's, he's sort of the base commander who doesn't, who doesn't get um, what packed off to, uh, to the front uh, and, and it's sort of, uh, sort of a baby, a glorified babysitter, really. Um, so it's 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 good. You know, I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Actually, like I said, it does exactly what it says in the tin. You know what this movie is, <laughs> and it's not going to it's not going to surprise you. I don't think in any way. But the only way it surprised me was in how much I actually responded to it and actually ended up enjoying it. You know what? When you were talking about how many instances of this in times gone by, I suppose it crosses the road with literature. I mean, two of the great stories like this where you end up going, yeah, you've got to think of Les Mis, you've got to think of the Count of Monte Cristo, and that's classic literature. Both French, but yes. French. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you go back, you go back to Shakespeare. You go back even earlier than that, and it's this balance between comedy. No, they turn and into a donkey in Shakespeare. That's different. There is a donkey <laughs> is in a uh, donkey. Midsummer Night's Dream. You're right. There is. <laughs> However, but, we we love this. We love the pull and release of this kind of film, even though we know it's going to end wonderfully. Who cares? Or right. at least with some. Uh, uh, with some pathos. Yeah, yes. anyway, he's been talking about military wives. Um, join us on Facebook Live. We'll be till about 10 minutes to one or something like that. If you want to join in, tell mm. us what you think. Steve says, taking my wife to see military wives and I'm going to re-watch Brassed Off, which I haven't watched in ages. The one thing, before we go to the news stands, we must um, point out is when they do humour, especially in Brassed Off, it's blindingly funny. I mean, you said there's a few duff jokes that didn't quite work in this, but in, in principle, the humour is awesome, isn't it? And it's very British and dismissive. I mean, like when the fellow walks past his wife and she's coming home from work and he's going, all right, love, all right, love. Do you know what I mean? Well, this is, I think this is, yeah, I think this is the defining element of this kind of film, is it, it's easier to do just the social drama about whatever the particular issue is. Yeah. And I think anybody can do that. I think what makes it quintessentially British is that so much of the drama and the tragedies undercut by this very self-effacing realistic humour. Right, we'll carry on in just a couple of minutes because it's nearly time for the news. CHK Radio 3 Right, where are we? Okay, well let's talk about Joseph. Freaky, which is the new <laughs> film from Huh? Nothing, carry on. Go on. Sorry, I don't, know, I don't know what happened there. Okay. So, Freaky is the new film from Christopher Landon, who directed uh, Happy Death Day. And it is the story of uh, Millie, who is typical small-town uh, high school teenager. 
um, she, who crosses paths on Friday the thirteenth with the with with a local serial killer, essentially called the Blissfield Butcher, uh, who has somehow come across a magical dagger, and he stabs her with it, and they swap bodies. So she is now stuck in the body of this hulking serial killer played by Vince Vaughn in the mould of um, sort of Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th films, while Catherine Newton, who plays Millie, uh, now has the spirit of the serial killer inside her right. and proceeds to sort of uh, carve bloody, you know, a, a bloody path through this small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Vince Vaughn, now playing this teenager, has to go and find her friends, convince, <coughs> her, convince them that he is this teenage girl and they have 24 hours to reenact what, what happened, otherwise the, the change is going to be permanent. The last time this word freaky was used was a very different but in the same room film of course freaky friday so i guess they might have done that on purpose this was originally pitched as freaky friday the 13th oh what a that brilliant was the title. that was the so that was the original pitch and that has been shortened probably for legal reasons more than anything else to freaky uh so yeah it, it is enti- exactly a mashup of this kind of body swap comedy that was obviously pioneered by Freaky Friday, but became popular in the 80s with things like Big and Vice Versa and films like that. And, um, and then there was a remake of Freaky Friday. And also the sort of the teen slasher film, not least the Friday the 13th films. I mean, look at what today's date is. It is Friday the 13th. Ooh, that is yeah. why the film is coming out globally this weekend uh, at a time when not many American films are coming out at all. Mm. Now, what is probably so what you get is you get all the expected comedy hijinks of a body swap comedy of a teenage girl trapped in a middle-aged man's body and of a middle-aged serial killer trapped in the body of a teenage girl uh there are obviously echoes of Jack black's performance in jumanji welcome to the jungle who similarly had a teenage girl trapped inside his portly frame uh also, it really steps up to the task of being one of those slasher movies, you know, of being on a par with Friday the 13th in terms of really grisly, gruesome, bloody kill sequences. You know, this is a, has a Category 3 rating here in Hong Kong, which means you have to be 18 to go see it. Very, very few films get that these days. Mm. And that's because it is really gleefully grotesque and gory yeah. in these kill sequences. You know, it's people being impaled and skewered and dis- decapitated and dismembered uh, with willful abandon and is all the better for it. Also, <laughs> it should be pointed out that um, Freaky takes its place amongst a sort of a, very, a recent surge in sort of queer horror films in the same way that you've got films like Get Out and Us and The New Candyman and Antebellum really pushing uh, ethnic representation on film. There's a similar um, sort of wave of sort of queer films coming out right now Mm. which have sort of LGBT representation in them. You've got films like Raw and going back to like Jennifer's Body and uh, Knives and Skin and uh, more recently The Perfection, which is a fantastic film on... um, 
on Netflix right now, so you should, you should check that out as well. So the main, while the main character Millie is a is a straight character, you yeah. know she's got she's got the gay best friend, and the, the, he's convinced that half half the football team are at, at the very least sort of bi curious. Uh, but for much of the film, you have Vince Vaughn mm-hmm. playing a teenage girl. Now, just because she's trapped in Vince Vaughn's body doesn't mean she's going to stop her pursuit of the one sensitive jock in her uh, woodwork class that. She she's got a crush on which leads to some oh, really right. sort of brave moments on on the part of not least on the part of Vince Vaughn uh you know who is known to be a member of the so-called frat pack you know which are these very sort of uh alpha male hetero sort of uh, comedians in Hollywood you know like he's an actor Wilson, though um, you know and Will Ferrell and the rest of it. he is an actor they choose their roles and he has <laughs> obviously chosen this one in order to push himself and you know, fair play to him, bravo to him, really, because there are some moments in this film where you're like, oh, wow, you're really going there on screen, on camera? So it has that sort of sensibility to it as well. So it's very sort of campy. Uh, it's very high energy. It doesn't all work, I've got to be honest. Um, there's there's a fair amount of sort of drama in it, a lot of the character development, particularly in Millie's family, where her father died a year ago, and she's struggling to connect with her mother and her sister, who's a local cop, and elements like that don't quite work. You know, they, they never quite ring true. They just feel like unnecessary padding until you can get to the next silly joke or the next bloody kill, Yeah, quite frankly. And um, so that stuff doesn't quite work. And then also for this kind of horror film, you would expect there to be a sort of an element of the backstory, the origin story, the motivations for the serial killer character himself. And you don't get any of that. He's just presented up front. He's a mass murderer. He comes here every homecoming and he kills teenagers. And you're like, okay, I get it. But, you know, sometimes those backstories are actually kind of fun. And one would wonder that in this kind of, uh, this film, it would it would be beneficial to explore those. Because quite often in these kind of films, there is a kind of questionable origin that often has to do with sort of chi- uh, childhood abuse and... Um, uh, you know, a mistreatment by par- by abusive parents or whatever that has formed them in such a way. And I thought that perhaps, as they're addressing a lot of a lot of this stuff in the film with the characters running around in the present, yeah, it could have been interesting. Maybe they're saving it for a sequel if they get if they get the opportunity to make a sequel. I don't know, but Freaky is it it does its job and then some. I would say, you know, it's bloody when it needs to be gory, when it needs to be funny, funny when it needs to be. Yeah. And even, even in its slower moments, you know, it is quite, as I said, quite unevenly paced. Even in its slow moments, it's always doing something interesting. All right, then. Brilliant. We've gone from the sublime to the ridiculous today, haven't we? (laughs) Military wives to this. What's next? Well, speaking of which, SpongeBob. Okay. There is a new SpongeBob SquarePants movie uh, called The SpongeBob Movie Sponge on the Run. I think this is the third film of, of the long-running Nickelodeon TV show, which I must admit I haven't really seen very much of, but I have seen the films. Okay. This comes uh, off Nickelodeon, so it's a Paramount film. It was originally supposed to have a big worldwide cinematic release, but because of COVID... Uh, it hasn't, and Paramount's quickly sold it to Netflix, and so it opened on Netflix, I think, last Friday or last week. 
So, as we all know, SpongeBob SquarePants is a sea sponge who lives in a pineapple under the sea yep. in in Bikini Bottom. His best friend is Patrick, uh, a uh, starfish, and he works at a uh, a sort of crab burger factor, uh, crab burger cafe uh, run by uh, I think his name is Mr. Krabs. Now. The, the the action and the drama and the plot of this one takes place because Gary, who is uh, SpongeBob's pet snail, right. who he loves more than anything in yep. the world, yep. disappears, goes missing. And after an extensive search, he realises that Gary is nowhere to be seen, so he has to hit the road with Bet Patrick, his best mate, on a road trip that will take them to the lost city of Atlantic City, as the, it's called. They're run not by in Bikini Bottom anymore, says the poster. Exactly, exactly. They, ha they have to hit the road, go on a road trip in search of Gary the Snail. And you know what? It might just have something to do with arch-nemesis Plankton and his latest scheme to take over <laughs> the Crab Shack. Okay, so, you know, either you like, I think either you like SpongeBob or you don't. But what I admire about it is the kind of innocent eccentricity of it all. You know, I watch obviously a lot of these films that are aimed for kids but throw something in there for the adults. And it's very difficult to get that balance of humor and of sort of a pop uh, pop culture reference just right. As I was saying, Military Wives, for example, didn't, doesn't do that particular thing very well. And a lot of these sort of cartoons for the whole family um, feel very contrived in the way that they try and do one for the kids, one for the grown-ups, yeah, one yeah, for the yeah. kids, one for the grown-ups. And there's something about SpongeBob SquarePants. So odd, so bizarre, but yet so wholesome and good-natured. <laughs> well, it's sponge um, and a While pineapple. throwing in incredibly yeah it, it, while throwing in these incredibly sort of eccentric weird legitimately funny references to just nonsense yeah that you kind of have to sort of have to go with it you know it's very bright it's very breezy it's fairly short and moves at a real clip um if you've got children they've probably found it on netflix already uh if not obviously it's incredibly wholesome uh it's it's suitable for all ages uh, and I and I it will keep them more than occupied for ninety minutes, and then another ninety minutes, and then another ninety minutes, and then another ninety minutes as they watch it over and over and over and over again. So uh, it features a lot of uh, big name cameos, none of which I'll spoil now. But I think for the most part will be lost on younger viewers. But people of our age will yep. be like, oh wow, he's in a SpongeBob movie or she's in a SpongeBob movie. Um, but yeah, it's it's good, wholesome. Under the water, deep water fun. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. What's it, something, are you okay? Is there something wrong with you? Because you've just done three rock and rollers today. <laughs> I have a funny feeling the next one might not be, though. Anyway, what have we got? Okay. Do, hang on, we've got a few minutes left. Join Hello. us on Facebook Live if you want, because you can see all, everything, blah. Uh, and you can join in. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you're going to go and see. What have we got? Okay, last one that's out in cinema. So, so that SpongeBob is on Netflix. Right. I should point that out. I think it's, I think it's actually going to... Uh, it's not getting a theatrical release anywhere, I don't think. Okay. Uh, so it's on Netflix, and I, I think anymore, does it? everywhere, ex everywhere except the US. I think the US is holding it back, and CBS All Access is going to release it early next year or something like that. Uh, but anyway, that's where you can find that. Back to the cinemas, Dear Tenant okay. is a Taiwanese drama. Mm -hmm. 
that has picked up a, a slew of uh, Golden Horse Award nominations, which are seen as sort of the Chinese Oscars, uh, but have been sort of uh, shrouded in uh, in uh, political controversy in the last couple of years just because of the identity of which part of China they represent and what have you. However, yeah. none of that's got anything to do with this film. Um, so Dear Talent is the story of a guy called Lin who uh, lives with an old lady and a young boy and he looks after them uh, in their apartment in, down in Kaohsiung and you quickly learn that he's not a relative but he's the ex-partner of the old lady's son mm-hmm. who's the father of the child. Uh, they were they were a gay couple, uh, and he he ha- and their son died like five years ago, and since then he has been looking after the mother and the son. Now, when the mother suddenly the mother is sick, but when she suddenly dies, mm-hmm. her other son comes back from I think he's been working in China, comes back and he's like, "What's going on here?" You know, yeah, I know who you are, but I'm not very happy about the fact that you've been living in the house. And how come my mum has died suddenly? And I don't really like how close you are to the, the my nephew. Uh, and discovers that the house has been left to the little boy, and that Lynn has legally adopted the little boy. And so the the other bro- the other son has been completely shut out, and he's like, don't like this at all. And he starts an investigation, presses charges, and accuses him of murdering his mother whom he was caring for. Now, this is told in kind of flashbacks for, while Lynn is sort of in, in jail mm. or facing charges of, charges of murder and um, drug possession, like, with the inter- like large-scale drug possession. And you're like, okay, how's it going on? How, what's going on here? And it um, drip feeds you this information uh, as if it's some kind of mystery. You're like, oh, is he is he a murderer? Is he a drug dealer? What's going on? Hmm. Um, what you find, however, is that this is a, a drama about the persecution of, of homosexuals. Right. He is being, uh, you know, marginalised because of his sexual preference. And this is odd coming out in Taiwan, which is one of the few places where they have legalised, one of the few places in the region where gay marriage has been legalised and they're supposed to be recognised and appreciated sort of more than in a lot of other places in the region. Um, I think the legal aspects of the story are far more interesting than the kind of mystery angle that the film seems determined to take. If it had just been a proper sit-down courtroom drama, like we've seen very recently with like the trial of Chicago 7 or something like that, yeah. there are so many legitimate points here about sort of the right to ad- of adoption and... Um, the, uh, you know whether whether or not he's a murderer, and you know he's a, he was a caregiver and all the rest of it, and how those lines between sort of caregiving and assisted suicide—not that that's actually particularly relevant—but th- a lot of these kind of angles would lead to a far more interesting sort of courtroom drama. But those at every turn, those elements of the story seem to be kind of brushed aside in favour of just sort of an, a strange mystery that just seems like it could have been solved with a simple conversation with a family sit down and a conversation so I think it's heart is in the right place I think it has recognised some of the issues that it wants to champion and, and challenge but for me at least I mean like I said it's had some awards recognition so there are obviously people who think that it's a good a better film than I do mm-hmm. um, I, I just feel that the angle at which it's approaching its subject matter 
is is the wrong angle and that if they had just sort of come clean about what the facts of the matter were all sat down and had like a proper courtroom drama about it wouldn't be a film it though. would have been a more effective it would be a more effective sort of movie. back to where we started full circle in a way you know you take something very mundane and you have to big it up otherwise you know you have to willing abandonment of disbelief the whole thing otherwise who wants to watch reality go and put go and watch you know discovery channel it's a movie right it is a movie, but look at how many great courtroom dramas there are out there. I'm not saying that the story itself isn't compelling. I'm just saying that drip-feeding us this information, which would have been far better served, just sort of presented and then argued in, in, in court about the legal rights of these characters in these positions, sure, sure. for me, would have been better. Right, quickly. Uh, Steve, but hey, like I said, Steve wants to remind us that The Crown starts this weekend. So there you go. Yes, it does on Sunday. On Sunday, season four of The Crown. And yes, I will be there. And before we say bye bye, can you just tell us what you've been talking about today? You kind of liked everything, and you didn't even dislike the last one. No. Okay. So the one that I didn't even dislike is uh, Dear Tenant, which is a Taiwanese drama. That's out in cinemas now. As is the uh, body swap slasher comedy, Freaky. As is the uh, the British comedy drama Military Wives while on Netflix Spongebob the Spongebob movie Sponge on the Run Marshy Movie Time will return coming to a grim radio studio near you next week at the same time <laughs> love your work James bye bye for now